From the boardroom to the locker room, sport captures the imagination like little else. In this podcast, we talk to the men and women who make the big decisions and those who make the big plays to find out where sport is and, importantly, where it's going. But we do so through the only eyes that matter, those of the fan. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of The Groundsman. Joining me for the first time this season, my two fellow slackers, Roger Mitchell and Giles Morgan. Roger, how are you, matey? I'm good. I'm good. Good to see Giles back. I know he's uh, had a lot of injuries, and uh, we can talk about that a little bit if he wants to, if the embarrassment <laughs> allows him. Um, but it's good to have the captain back. Yes, coming back from uh, coming back from your honeymoon with a groin strain, I'm not sure if that's a badge <laughs> of honour or a sign of getting old, Giles. How are you, mate? I'm I'm all right. I, I'm all right. I have to share with our audience though that I'm I'm doing this show standing up. I'm I'm Homo erectus today because um, I can't actually sit down because um, I've just done the uh, just done the crest to run and also played cricket on ice in San Moritz in a in a in a cricket festival recently. And um, on the crest to run, I hurtled down. It's quite difficult to stop when you're 110 kilograms. I I just got through shuttlecock. But um, which is not a euphemism, um, bounced off every wall and fractured my elbow. And then next day playing cricket on ice. Actually, I got 14 not out, was quite pleased. And in celebration was running for a cab to uh, to go up to the bar to join the lads and tore my hamstring off the bone. So um, this has been... <laughs> <laughs> Amateur sport is live and well in Morgan, in Morgan Towers, but I don't think it's going to last long. Giles, I, I have to say, I think... That may be the most upper-class sentence I've ever heard spoken. I've played, I've, I've played cricket on ice in San Moritz. I mean, that's it. Take a bow. Take a round. That is, yeah, that's I will take something. a bow. It was. Yeah. It was definitely a demographic. And what sort my my team that was playing, um, we're quite old now. It's a, we were celebrating our 35th anniversary of the club. And we won our first game against an under-14 uh, Swiss-German school, which was a big, a big win. Um, we, we were quite pleased with that. <laughs> we, then, we, then not, we then were thrashed by the Guards Cricket Club, as in the Guards, as in, you know, the sort of British Guards army lot. And then we lost to a, a German side. And, it's making a Charles, you, you, missed, you missed a trick there. You could have actually taken your sentence up a notch by saying, I played cricket on ice in Sam Ritz against the Guards. That would have, that would have <laughs> left no room for anybody who ever topped that. All I can tell you is that this club that has sported some really very good cricketers, some really quite good cricketers, we've all decided to retire en masse. That's it. No more No more sports. So Excellent. It's, uh, Excellent. It's well, lovely you carried your bets. At least you all carry your bets. Well, it's lovely to be back on the gentle slopes of Are You Not Entertained, where life not is Not so much gentle easier. these days. <laughs> a little bit under siege. Yes. You have been away, haven't you? <laughs> Oh my God! You, I did go away for five minutes on honeymoon. Then I go to Samaritz, and the, the 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 leash has been let off. And Rog, off you go. Well, that's what it is. If I don't have uh, a little bit of um, chaperone, it's just uh, it's out of control. It's out of control. And I'm obviously not up to the task, Giles. So it's good to have you back. Well, listen, gents, we have um, we have a guest uh, rejoining us for the second time today. I'm very excited to speak to Joe Markowski. Yeah, uh, Joe's coming back. It's been really interesting to speak to Joe. It's going to be quite um, 
a punchy episode. And I think that's what we want to do with these interviews in 2023. We're not going to do them on a regular basis. I think it's going to only be people that we think have really got something to say. They're prepared to say it. And we can really get into the issues of the industry, their companies, their sport. You know, Joe came on, what was it, two or three years ago. Uh, DeZone uh, was in a different place. He um, he is now chief executive of DeZone US, which is a big, big role. Uh, the world of sport has moved ahead since he was last on. We've had all kinds of disruption, super leagues, new eye thinking on models, uh, subscription fatigue, perhaps. How do you make money? And, you know, we're going to ask him all of these things. Also, Joe, you know, on the Como Sports Summit, was the person that set the agenda, I would say, for, for, for the two days and in his honesty. And, you know, so when he said, look, um, should we do a wee chat? And uh, obviously we, we said yes, because I'm sure it's not going to be banal. So I'm really looking forward to this, guys. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely right. And uh, Joe is in a part of the industry where there's been many cross swords on this podcast in the past about um, where they are, how they're doing it, and their likelihood uh, of finding success. So it's going to be a great chance to have a chat with Joe and find out what they're doing and how that journey's going, Giles. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm looking forward to it. We've talked a lot for for so many well years now about disruption, about changes, but not many people are are putting their money where their mouth is. Does own really are. We've got a challenge to see how much more money they've got to throw at this um, because there's a lot of loss, but I do absolutely understand the mission and I'm really looking forward to understanding it all about. Talking of um, missions, Grant, I've just got to ask, our, our listeners can't see you. I can see you, Rog can see you. It looks like you're in a, in a cabin somewhere in Montana. Are you in fact bear hunting, or have you? I mean, it just I, looks, it, I, it looks. It's quite a different look from our normal yes. vista. Where are you? I'm. I'm in a cabin. I'm not. I'm not in Montana. Um, I am in uh, the wilds of Baltimore, Maryland, out in uh, in horse country. Fantastic. For reasons which I cannot obviously divulge, because uh, you, you never you know, can. Just like loose you lips and chips and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, can we talk a little bit just about while we're waiting for Joe to come on? Can we talk a little bit about your latest round of golf? Is that something we can talk about, or is that under the Official Secrets Act as well? I think the less said about that, the better, Rog. I'm not. I'm, right. not, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, put it this way: I'm not sure, and I want to get invited back. So, just in case it is under the Official Secrets Act, it's not a chance I want to take. However, suffice to say. I played, played very, well. very well. I played very, yeah. very well. I had a, I had a yeah. cracking day, I have to say. It was... Uh, Just as well, Jimmy. Yeah. You... Otherwise, you know, the second tee, all, all, the, all the toys go out the pram. Just as well, it started well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. <laughs> absolutely right. Although not not on this particular day, Rog. That would, that would not have been allowed to happen, trust me. I would, no. have, uh, I would have kept my, uh, my, my disappointment in myself in check. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I've actually Thanks. been hitting some good balls as well on the practice range. Uh, uh, different way of approaching the game, soft hands, you know, a little bit. It's, it's, Spanish hands, is, Spanish hands. Yeah, yeah, Spanish hands. I think this is going to be a good year. I think this is going to be a good year on the course. Um, well, I should, I, should, I, should, I should let the listeners know that last time we spoke, you, you said to me, whisper it, whisper it, but I think I found the secret. Do you know how many people... <laughs> Over the years, since golf has been played, have said that only to find themselves on their knees, I've, I've, cursing I've put their an luck. Extra club length on all along the bag, an extra club length. It's unbelievable, Grant. 
Well, I've got a nice little anecdote about golf. As you know, I've um, pilloried myself over the many years I've played golf. At us the highest, Well, yeah, at the highest level, and many of the pros have, uh, have 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 agreed. I decided to take myself out of retirement at the very beginning of January um, to play with my son, who's a good golfer, and um, we went along to his course and stood on. I went to the practice range, absolutely fine. I thought five years off, this is fine. I'm going to be back. I've got rid of all of the, the gremlins. Anyway, I, I teed off. The ball went 90 degrees and the club secretary asked me to come off the course. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, so no. that was me. So, um, yeah, another five years and I might be ready to, to play in the Are You Not Entertained uh, Live Invitational or whatever it'll be called by then. There's di- <laughs> that's disruption for you right there. Well, I tell you what, Giles, you've, 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 had, you've had a honeymoon with a, with a torn house and you've been pulled off on the golf course. So it's, uh, well, it's, been, well, a actually, a, it's been a hell of a start to the year for you. As, as we were talking about Liv, we should perhaps share with the, the, the listeners the little exchange we had yesterday about what Liv could do to get out of the hole that it's in because it doesn't seem to be doing very well, the, the TV ratings and everything like that. And, of course, one of the things that came up was strip skins. You know, uh, all no, this talk about... One of the things about, that came up was strip skins from you. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's a great idea, you know, like the, the mixed golf, you know, like you get these good influencers that are also very good. You see that girl swing, she's got a great swing and like you just um, strip skins, you lose the hole, you've got to take something off. I'm telling you, that is can a I, winner. Can I, that is can a I win- just, Rog, can I just make sure that when you, me, Jimmy and Giles play, we are not, and I repeat, not flying strip skins, just no, so we're clear. No, there's no interest in that at all, but Jolly you know, good. like... Jolly good. No, I, listen. Anyway. I, I, I watched. I, I I tried to watch some of Liv yesterday. Liv was so Liv is perfect. Perfect day for it. Liv was up against the final round of the Honda Classic, um, which has you know, been going for a long time. The Honda Classic's played in a great course down in Florida, PGA National. Um, you know, it's 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 Jack Nicklaus's stamp is all over the PGA that particular PGA event, um, and it was up against Liv. Now Liv was playing. Um, at Mayakoba, which is a course where they used to have a WGC championship. Um, so it's a decent course that's had big PGA Tour events on it before. So there's no problem getting crowds to that venue. Um, and the the Honda Classic leaderboard was devoid of any big names. Shane Lowry was a few back and he made a bit of a charge, but he didn't get within five of the leads. He had two relatively obscure golfers going head-to-head for a PGA Tour event. Um trading the lead backwards and forwards over the last uh, nine, 12 holes. Um, and on the other side was the was the first Live event of the year. And I, I tried to watch Live, think, right, I'll give it a chance. I'll, I'll, I'll give it, you know, if, when I get fed up, I'll watch it for another half an hour, which is what I did. I got fed up very quickly. And, Rog, I have to say, A, there was barely anybody there. Now, that course can attract big crowds. It's done so before for the WGC. And you know that live guys are giving tickets away to these events to get people in the door. There's barely anybody there. It's just a bunch of guys in shorts playing for money. There's nothing to it. There's nothing meaningful. There's no substance to it whatsoever. And the little packages they filmed for you to get to know the teams are so cringingly embarrassing. It's got a real problem, Roger. I'm telling you right now. It's got a real problem, so we'll see. They will have to. They're going to have to make sweeping changes to that thing. I, I guarantee it. Anyway, yeah. enough of my enough of my soapbox. I think Joe's with us, so why don't we invite him into the conversation? Joe Markovsky, welcome back to Are You Not Entertained? One of our favourite guests and one of our most honest guests, if I can say that. Welcome back. Thanks for having me. Good to see you again. How's everyone doing? Fantastic. We're all doing great, Joe. Great. Good. 
Good. Of course, uh, Gels is here as well. Uh, you know each other very well also from Como. And as I said at the top of the show, I think, you know, the listeners should know that when we started Como last year and the first round table, I put you on it and, and I went to you with the first question because I knew you would set the tone for the honesty and the transparency that then happened over the two days. And, you know, that was Chatham House rules. This isn't, this is going out, but I'm sure we're going to be pretty honest. And, you know, I think it's going to be a really interesting hour or so. Yeah, that's a very generous sort of description. I would describe it as being a bit of a gobshite, but you you, you put it more <laughs> on, um, which I appreciate. Um, yeah, Como was fantastic. Thanks again for organising it. Looking forward to round two this summer. Um, and yeah, look, I, I think it's um, it's a really exciting time to be in what we do. So great to be talking about it with you. Good. So today we're going to go right into it. And today's show is going to have two major themes. The first one is where is sport going now? What is sport? What does it mean culturally? And the second part of the show is, is, is in the mirror to that, but with the zone. What is the zone now? Where does it come from? How is it going to uh, move forward as a sustainable business? These are the two macro themes, Joe. And um, I'm going to kick off uh, the first one with asking you what you felt about last night and Jake Paul and, you know, that kind of product that clearly works. You know, my two kids were more interested in that than anything else. They told me to get, to start watching it. Um, they gave me the whole background about why it was interesting. And then, you know, it engages them. So let's kick off with that. What did you think about last night and that whole kind of like crossover influencer sport theme? Um, I'm a huge fan of crossover boxing. I'm also a huge believer that crossover philosophies that are being applied to the boxing scene and have been for the last few years have tremendous potential in other verticals and other aspects of the sports industry. Um, the zone gave birth really to this new wave of crossover boxing back in 2019 with KSI against Logan Paul. That wet our appetite hugely for the space. It was a success. It cut through by any metric you want to look at uh, in a number of countries around the world. Um, COVID disrupted our playing in that space for, for a number of reasons, but we're back into it in a big way. Um, me and my team believe it's got huge potential. Why does it have huge potential? It leads into your more macro question of what is sport and what role does sport have to play and how can sport engage the next generation of fans? That is a macro question sport needs to ask itself because there is a generation of kids now, maybe I don't know how old your kids are, Rog, but maybe a similar age to your kids who have grown up as the first generation that have had the internet serving them with a myriad of entertainment options that we did not have growing up. Um, I often say that when I was a kid, there were two or three things on TV on a Tuesday or Wednesday night that I talked about with my friends the next day. One of those was probably the Champions League. One of them was probably the OC or some other entertainment show that was popular at the time, right? These kids have not sat down at 9pm or 8pm like we did on a linear television experience and consume those two or three things. They have had 150,000 different entertainment options served up by the internet, including from the likes of Logan Paul and KSI and Jake Paul, since they were awake as human beings. And as a result, the breadth of what entertains them and what interests them, and frankly, from sport, what distracts them from sport, 
is huge. The range of that is huge. So sport has got a more cluttered environment in which to play and to remain relevant. And I therefore think that any opportunity sport has to test the blending of its core product with that world, sport should be taking. And it should be taking it in a sort of Silicon Valley-esque, try and learn, suck it and see type approach. It's not all going to work. But I think as an industry, we have to be brave and we have to embrace these opportunities because if we don't, the risk is that we lose or, or dilute a generation's interest in sport. And that is existential. Joe, I remember talking to you at um, in Como and sub subsequently you've been on the media talking about crossover sports. And mm -hmm. clearly there's been a lot of success in the last three or four years, which is presumably the history of that, you know, people fighting, bouting is nothing new, but the ability to kind of cross this intersection between entertainment, social media, digital, and the, the, the sense of binary fighting is exciting. I'm interested, do you think there are other crossover type sports that would work as well as, as this has worked or things that are on the radar that you think where you're putting people in different situations to, to create entertainment? Yeah, I do. Do I have like an answer for that question directly and tangibly right now? No, I think we're really early in learning it. I also don't think there's going to be a one-size-fits-all model. I don't think if you put Logan Paul against KSI in a 100-meter sprint and had Usain Bolt doing the commentary, I don't think that would work, you know? Well, they, that was superstars, wasn't it, in the, in well, the 1970s? So, 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 that, so then you're sort of maybe jesting there, but it, start, it starts, the inspiration for how you execute in this space does lean on a load of different reference points. Is it entertainment television superstars? Is it X Factor? Is it, is it other traditional sports formats? So you start thinking, and I think this is the challenge that we now have as a, as a business, as an industry, is where this thing can go. And I think we are extremely early. We're, we're a first mover, really, in this space at the level we're trying to do it at. But we're still very early in doing it. So... I think we just have to learn and see, and as I say, test and try and not be afraid of failing. I don't want to be too much of a cliche, but I do think there'll be attempts at this stuff that don't work, but that, that you'll learn from. So um, that's where we're going to, we're going to try and be sort of placing ourselves. Joe, let me ask you that your, your kind of opening uh, answer there laid this out beautifully and I'm listening to you and I'm nodding my head at everything you said. And, and, as you're going through that, you know, those water cooler moments, the kids sitting down with linear linear timelines on the sport, and now they're being bombarded by all these different entertainment options. And that, I guess, gets to the crux of my big question inside my head that rages through this whole thing. And I think you describe the situation absolutely perfectly as, as to the reality that these kids face. And so then when you flip that around and you think about it through the eyes of, of someone trying to serve content to that audience we get to this, what, what I feel is the existential question in all this. And that is, you know, sport over the years, every sport has rules. And there are rules and laws in the game. And that's what allows sport to continue from generation to generation. I play the same game that my father played, that his father played. Um, and there's a thread that runs through sport that connects generations. It's what allows us to ask, is LeBron better than Michael Jordan? Is Kobe better than both of them, right? And so... When I look at the, the audience you described who are being bombarded with everything from different directions and I think about the challenge of trying to create a product for that audience without, without upending the integrity of the sport by thinking, okay, here's what we have to do to the sport to keep this audience and keep the next audience. To me, it seems like such an intractable problem. 
Um, and I, and I, I, I watched the Live Golf versus the PGA Golf this weekend. They were, they were on against each other here in the US on different um, networks. And it really brought that home to me because I can see what Liv is trying to do and I look at it and to me they're failing miserably. But I realise that's the challenge they have. So how do you think about that challenge of, of maintaining the purity of a sport with an audience that you have to kind of switch it up in order to attract them? Yeah, I, I sometimes think I go back and forth on this in my head, just how different this next generation are. I've, I've, I mean, I'm relatively young, so I've not seen loads of generations. Come. All right, all right, all right. Don't rub it in. <laughs> um, not as good looking as you. Nice save. The, 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 nice save. The, are this generation markedly more different than my generation was to my father's generation? I, and I guess I say, go back and forth on this question. My grandparents thought, you know, rock and roll music when it, when it first came out was heinous. And they thought people who liked it were bonkers. Is this just the first early stages of us getting used to this next generation and sort of older generations thinking, oh golly, these people are these people are awful. They're, they're not like us, they're different. Or has the internet created a completely different mindset that is gonna shape human behavior for the rest of time? I, I don't know. And I, th- I think that's why we're so early in that these 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 kids, and they're not necessarily just kids anymore, probably getting into their early. 20s now which is why it makes it more relevant because they're coming into households and they're starting to make buying decisions right um and they're definitely influencing buying decisions as teenagers in the households they live in so, so i think that 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 will get to the crux of your question so it's like foundational to the to the answer to your question the purity of sport is it, are we are we taking it too seriously is the sport forget that ultimately it's entertainment and em- entertainment basically evolves and it, and, and it moves and it's shaped by the times that's always happened. The X factor was probably a disruption to how bands were formed. It definitely was. It worked. It produced the biggest bands of the last one direction, the biggest boy band of the last 15, 20 years, the biggest stars in the world. Everyone forgets that a lot of those guys came out of you know formats like that. Sport is just entertainment, and I think sometimes we get a bit, yeah. we get a bit, we get a bit Corinthian about it. Maybe we get a bit sort of like we take it too seriously. Maybe, and I, I say that as someone like you who loves sport and makes my career in sport, and it's my, one of my biggest passions personally. And my relationships with my dad, in particular, my grandfather, were formed around sport and my friends, but it's got it's going to have to evolve. Also, you got to consider the alternative. If you don't and you're relying too much on purity, then maybe even if the generation aren't as different as we think they are and they get to 35, 40 and they become, you know, sort of like (laughs) more like traditional people, how much do they care about sport at that point? Has sport been diluted as an entertainment option or as a pastime for them? So I'm not painting a dystopian picture of sport. I just think there's, there's a relatively urgent need to, as I say, test and learn in this space, try new things, continuing to invest and promote the core sport. Of course, it's central to our business, but also as a part of our business, try things in this space and see how we can be effective. The Jake Paul fight last night was all over ESPN. Yes. It was all over BBC. It was all over every mainstream media outlet in sport for reasons that we all know the answer to it, 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 it cut through Jake Paul has huge reach. The promotion was excellent. 
people respect what he's trying to do and he fought well last night and lost, but I think his stock probably went up as a real boxer. I think it's 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 starting to become a real movement and 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 the public care. So as people who produce and monetize sport, you have to react to that. Yeah, it's, a, it's such a good answer, uh, Joe, I, I have to say. And, and you know, you, you've got Roger's favourite word, Corinthian, in there as well, which, which always makes me smile because that, that's really the, the debate. But I think, um, and I know Giles will have something to add to this, but when I watched the coverage yesterday of the tour, um, you realise that what's happened over the last 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 maybe years is the coverage of the sport has been tweaked and improved and changed and technology has allowed us... Um, you know, the track man in golf is the perfect example of that, right? And now they've got this amazing thing where as soon as they hit their shot, there's a there's a graphic of the green and you can see where the ball is going to land, right? In flight, they should, zooms in where the ball is going to land, which is amazing, right? And you watch these things. And so they've, they've enhanced the experience of watching sport, but it feels like now we've reached the point where, okay, now we have to tinker with the format. And it started in cricket, I guess, and it's now moved to boxing. And so at what point does sport for the sake of competition, just become a means to a commercial entertainment end? I guess that's my big question. I've got, I've got a lot to say about that. I think, thank goodness, someone else is recognising that cricket is the first major format innovator in sport. No one talks about that. And Cricket, cricket on ice is next, according to Giles. Cricket is dismissed as this sort of like, in other parts of the world, sort of like ye old English, everyone stops for tea, they all wear white clothes and it's all a bit ridiculous, sort of poncy English sport. Cricket fundamentally reset its model in 2005 with the first 2020 international. And that's been so successful that it's now, they've they've sort of steered, to, in my opinion, test match cricket back into a really healthy place. Um, but yeah, I'm glad you've recognised cricket. Cricket format innovated really successfully and well ahead of its time. Yeah, so I think that needs calling out. I also think that, well, the boxing thing, the, the lessons need to be extracted. We need to... We need to distill what 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 is working and what is not, and we need to start talking about that as an industry. I think, as I say, we're early in doing that. Format innovation central. I think we're still we're still yeah we're we're in the process of working that out. Joe, as a, as a uh, well known citizen of the uh, the state of Corinth, um, I'm going to put my hand up for, uh, for for the the Corinthian point of view. I absolutely accept, particularly in a commercial sense. Um, that sport is entertainment and what we've just talked about with cricket which we're probably all big fans of and I've I've really enjoyed the innovation of the sport over the last 20 years but I don't think sport is fundamentally just entertainment I think there is something that's a bit more from an anthropological anthropological easy for me to say um, point of view that goes a bit deeper as well it's not either either but, you know, a lot of people learn their sport from their parents. They learn it from the playground. They learn it not from a commercial sense. They learn it from a, a natural being, a, a human being, being a mammal in terms of play, binary fight, etc., etc. So I, I, I think that there are other tendrils of sport, which if you take the golf model, which is going back to tradition, a lot of those have to be up, upgraded. I get that. And cricket's played a quite a clever path of... You can still go to Lords and have the Test match experience, but you can go and watch twenty twenty and watch a big slap and and, a, and a, a good a good day out. But I don't think sport is just entertainment. I don't think it is just about the kind of um, 
watch it on telly and that's just a bit of fun social media. I think it goes deeper. And as, you know, all of us who are parents, you still see the playgrounds. It, it, not much has changed. So I, I would just caution on that one would be would my point of view. And I know that will probably, if you don't come down at me like a ton of brooks, I know I know someone who will. Yeah, I'll let, I'll let Roger do that. I don't want to come down. <laughs> um, uh, look, I think perhaps the golf thing, has golf got better in the last two years as a product because of the disruption that Liv's brought? Amen. I, I think yes. I'm so much more interested in golf than I was two years ago. And I, I play golf, but watching golf, following golf, the drama of it has been great. And I think the PGA is starting to react in a really positive way. I think it's enraged certain people on the PGA side. McElroy's been a great spokesperson. He's come out. It's fired them up. It's made the characters more accessible and more authentic. It's made them speak their minds. I think disruption is good. And I, I take your point, Giles. I'm, I'm not saying this is a, you know, taking a polarised view here. I think this needs consideration as one of the ingredients that we need to consider going forward as a, as for us as broadcasters, for the industry more broadly, uh, it's something to consider going forward. And it's not, we're not going to just, we're doing lots of things that speak to the fact we're not just abandoning traditional sport, far from it. Um, But I think this is, this is one of the pillars in the strategy that the sports industry needs to take forward. Joe, we'll come on to the zone and its business model and mistakes and learnings in, in a minute, the second part of the show. I want to ask you something. I know you're a big cricket fan, so this is good that uh, I, I'm not leading the witness here. If I look at the stuff that, that you guys seem to be interested in just now, I see uh, NFL, I see soccer, obviously the crossover sport that you've just talked about. I see uh, Dan Porter and everything he's doing at overtime. And of course, the KSI empire, if we can call that now, that goes from the prime drink to, to celebrity boxing. All of those things, I would say, are high time working class sport, cultural connection. So my question to you as a cricket fan is, in Europe, in the UK, most sport was invented in the UK, there's been always been a clear difference between working class sport, which was professional relatively early, and middle class sport that was professional, not professional until very, very recently. I'm thinking about um, rugby especially. Given everything you've said about culture and, and, and crossover, what in your head as a cricket fan is the future of what I would call the, the kind of like mummy and daddy middle class sports? I'll take you to practice. I'll buy you your first bat. Do you think it's got any future? Uh, yes. I'm not sure that's exclusive to middle, the middle classes, but I think participation in sport, um, the, the culture that a team environment brings and teaches to kids is probably leans on what Charles was saying, part of how kids are brought up and it's healthy. It's a healthy part of, of life. I say that as not as a parent, so I can't, I can't answer this question necessarily fully, but I think, yes, I do think, you know, the NFL has the challenge uh, that rugby has around health and safety. That's that they're addressing that. That's, that's pretty part of the consideration for rugby in participation but yeah i do i I think that's part of it and i think it's part of you know i hope that that is where i sort of spawned my love of sport and it carries through into going to attending matches frankly for me working in sport 
keeping fit, all of that, I think is rooted in playing sport as a kid and the emotions tied up in that. So yeah, I do. And I think alongside the crossover stuff we've talked about, if, if kids stop playing sport, which I don't expect them to do, that's going to be a real, a real challenge to sport. So I think parents will continue doing that because I think it, it's part of the values that kids are brought up on. So um, yeah, I do see a future for that. Yeah, like, like maybe I didn't frame that well enough. Um, yes, it's hugely valuable. No doubt about that. The, the gymnasium of life. I completely buy that as a parent myself. What I'm talking about is I'm not sure these middle-class sports have got a big enough total addressable market, Tam, if you want to put it in those terms, mm-hmm. that it's going to get people like you who ultimately finance sport to get behind them. And I'm just looking at what, what you're throwing capital at just now. And I don't see that many middle-class, um, small market-sized sports. I just don't. I think that's shaped by the markets we're in. Are the zone in a major rugby market? Are we established and mature in a major rugby market? Not yet, really. We're, we're in the UK. We're growing our business in the UK. We've made a tactical launch around boxing that leads from our global investment in boxing. We're looking for ways to grow in the UK. Rugby's a a top five sport, top three sport in the UK. It's going to be a consideration, right? I think that's a factor of where we are and what's been available and what's been sold in in the major markets. I hear your point. I do think certain sports have challenges. I think the, the, the impact of what we discussed at the top of the conversation around the, the, the impact of this new generation coming in and what they're into and what they're um, what they need taking to water on probably impacts the top tier sports, the tier one sports less than it does of course. long tail. So um, in markets where rugby is a is a tier two sport, they probably have some challenges. I do I do think certain sports and I think certain Olympic federations uh, their models are going to be challenged. I think the broadcasting of sport in an exclusive OTT environment, one of our learnings has has exposed maybe some um, parts of the industry for sort of dining out or maybe some some fake data. Some some there was some uh, assumptions that were driving a lot of the revenue models around certain sports that maybe have been challenged by the transparency of digital broadcasting. That's another great benefit to being a digital first broadcaster. We don't have to rely on assumptions. We did five or six years ago. We've now gone through two or three right cycles with major properties. We know what the TAM is for sports through the model we distribute with in any given market. And therefore we know its value. And that's the benefit of being a first mover. I do think certain sports probably are, are now addressing the fact that the transparency of OTT, the transparency of digital broadcasting has exposed certain realities realities or overvaluations. I think Giles yeah. in the sponsorship space probably equally as true as it is in the broadcasting space. Um, and I think certain big sports, I'm not going to name them because I'm not, I'm not here to start a scrap, but I, 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 I do think certain sports are going to start grappling with that problem. And I think it goes to, you know, big, you know, Olymp- Olympic level sports. 100%. Well, I was going to, I was going to ask you about that. I agree. I think, We've been quite tough on the IOC and the Olympic movement for for quite some time, and I think there's been a lot of sports in the 
in the IOC, whether it be the Winter Games, which actually have probably done a better job, funny enough, than the Summer Games. But you wonder to yourself with some of the Summer Games, what on earth are they for? Who's watching? They, they have their moment in the sun literally every four years and then go back to a very niche audience. And you do wonder what, what, that, what that looks like in, in the next 50 years. I'm much more <clears throat> sceptical about some of their futures than I am. Um, Roger's been quite tough on rugby, um, and, I, and I understand why, and I think a lot of the arguments are fair. But you still see an awful lot of people going to internationals. There's a lot of work to do. On some of these Olympic sports, there really aren't a lot of people going, even at the Olympic Games. Yeah, look, I mean... I, I think you're right on rugby. I think rugby is does a. I think the part, attending rugby is is fantastic. What I've seen rugby do as well, particularly at the international level, is what I'd call festivalization. And I, I was I was lucky enough to be in Arizona for the Super Bowl weekend and went to the the golf at the Waste Management, and that is the extreme the extreme end of festivalization. Right, it's the 16th hole at the stadium hole at the the Phoenix Waste Management Open is it is literally like a music festival. I mean, the golf is a complete sort of, it's there, but it's, yeah, a lot of people are not there for the golf, right? That's an extreme end of it. And I really enjoyed it. And I looked around and, and, and saw a lot of people also enjoying it of all different, you know, backgrounds and ages. So I think part of the remedy to the problem and the challenge we're discussing is making attending, making consuming on online or on broadcast feel like more than the sport itself feel like it's part of something bigger you know does that mean you get uh, p- people will roll their eyes i'm sure at this does it mean you have sort of half-time shows a la rihanna at the super bowl everywhere probably not but again a bit like the crossover thing you've got to take the you've got to take the themes out of it and apply them in a in a tailored way so yeah i think this is a challenge and i think that again i, I don't sit back and go this is a new thing every generation brings about its new challenges and this is just the one of yeah. the one of the ones that are on deck you know yeah let's pick up something you've mentioned twice now which is things we've learned along the way let's not forget that the zone is the big hope for the sports industry the netflix of sport was once your moniker the idea that you know the subscription model would work the idea, if you take boxing as the one that you applied it to, that you could move from pay-per-view to subscription. I'm not putting words in your mouth here, but I think you're probably saying that that doesn't work. Subscription on its own, whether it's for reasons of Gen Z doesn't pay for subscription or that big beast piracy doesn't work. You guys have lost a bucket load of money trying to prove that. What do you need to do now, Joe, as a business to get at least to break even? Because I think I've read that you want to get to break even by Q4 this year. That's one hell of a task. Tell us a little bit about this journey to date and where it goes now. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, The zone, I don't think, gets the credit as often as it should for being um, revolutionary in the way that we went about our business when we launched in, it started back end of 2014, we started planning this business. We launched in 2016 and we did so in a way that no one else was doing in sport. No one was buying premium domestic rights um, and putting them behind a digital OTT paywall. No one was doing that. We've learned a hell of a lot, 
Have we made mistakes? Absolutely. That is inevitable when you're innovating. What I think the business is really starting to do is react from those learnings and apply uh, solutions in a much more healthy and much more sustainable way. I think a lot of our recent announcements speak to the progress we've made and the direction of travel that we're on. We are partnering with the world's leading rights holders in long-term deals that speak to the confidence that our board have and our investors have in our, our direction of travel. It speaks to the confidence in our product, which is a key, key part of this. It speaks to the growth of our customer base globally, which is now at 20 million in terms of premium paying customers. That's a huge achievement. And we're starting to see success in the solutions we're putting out. I think pricing and proposition has been absolutely central to those learnings. We 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 went live with a one one size fits all, all you can eat, low cost subscription. The thought behind that at the time was that it would open a, a broader TAM. Clearly, we've adjusted that. We've learned from that. We're not looking at one size fits all models. The the the, the proposition options for design customers are, are varied. They're tailored. They're designed in a in a way that we, we think expands the TAM. We we cater for in, in the business I run, particularly in the US and the UK around boxing. We cater for the tourist subscriber who wants to come in and have a short-term flexible relationship. They clearly pay more. We reward those who want to show loyalty with lower cost per month, but longer commitment subscription models. We have distribution off platform. Roger, we've talked about our Amazon deal. I think more, yes. more of that is coming. You know, we want to be in every shop window. That allows us to maximize the returns for us and our and our rights partners. The product is the big one for me. I think, and this is a criticism constructively of the entire OTT space, I don't think anything until recently has fundamentally changed in the consumer's consumption of sport between linear and, and OTT. The vast majority of consumption on the zone has been people leaning back on their big screens, watching the broadcast that, the linear, that could easily be on a linear platform. There's not been any fundamental innovation to the actual consumption of the content. What OTT now needs to do is to start leveraging the fact that it's sat on a digital product that allows you to do 150, 200 more things to the consumer and serve them with watch parties and innovation experiences and watch alongs and uh, betting, which is going to be a big thing for us, all integrated around the same uh, product. And, and in doing that, I think you unlock the power of OTT. You unlock the potential of it. And so I think that is where we're going to be really, really focused on on maximizing the power of OTT and unlocking the, the power that our product can bring. These are all learnings we've taken. Don't forget, for two of the six years we've been operating, COVID was a massive, massive disruption to everything. It, it just completely changed the way that anyone in this industry was thinking about their business. So to achieve what we've achieved since 2016, this, as innovators, as leaders, and I'm not here, you know, trying to make you all drink the design Kool-Aid, although that'll be nice. We have, I think we've achieved a hell of a lot and we're starting to be really mature in the way that we digest learnings, apply solutions and evolve.
And that is testament to the foundation of the business, the culture of the business, but also the new leadership we've got in place who are, you know, extremely well suited for this task. They come from a, a different range of backgrounds, to traditional sports execs, more D to C focused than our, our founders. And I think that those two things combined uh, represent the evolution of the business, really. Joe, let, let me ask you, um, Roger and I have kind of gone backwards and forwards on, on an aspect of this and, and hypothesized about it. And, and you're in a really good position to help us understand it from kind of within the, the businesses that are facing these problems. But obviously, since we last spoke, the cost of capital has increased significantly, right? And so it's making hurdle rates and returns that much more urgent for businesses. And, and we had this golden era where um, because money was essentially free to people that wanted to to gear up and, and leverage it, there wasn't such pressure to produce results. And obviously you guys, thankfully, are, are down the track and you've, as you say, you've made some mistakes, you've learned from them, you're in a much better position now and understand the business a lot better. But how has that increased cost of capital changed the discussions around the boardroom table about how you need to think about the business going forward? Well, in simple terms, the board and our investors, are, obviously, they've been very supportive. Roger's mentioned that. They want to see return on their capital. And, and we've got a great, you mentioned, we've got a great opportunity to build a really, really profitable business. They want to see us do that. And we're starting to do it. And there's, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to go through financials, but we are in a really much healthier financial position than we were two years ago. The, the pathway to significant returns is very tangible. You can see it uh, in the markets I'm closest to. We've made real, real tangible progress on that in the last 12 months in particular. The Canadian business is in a really healthy spot. The US business is significantly uh, accelerating in terms of its financial performance, the UK too. And that's true of all of our markets. So I, th- I think there is a, a renewed sort of energy around the DAZN leadership team around, uh, on that. But I, again, I come back to we shouldn't be too hard on ourselves. We built the foundations that allow this to happen. That's taken five years, two of which were COVID disrupted. We've laid the foundations. Now we need to go and execute and, and demonstrate that those foundations were worth building. And I'm very confident they will. Yeah, it's about taking advantage of the position we've put ourselves in. Yeah. I think people would expect me to to try and challenge that a little bit mm-hmm. uh, and for uh, context, but everybody knows I'm a big fan of the zone and, and that kind of the disruption. Last reported accounts, um, you're probably losing about 200 million a month. I don't know what the situation is now, but people tell me you're getting pretty close to break even. I'm curious about that, you know, because... I think, well, what are they doing there? I get all the thing you said before that you've changed pricing, you've changed uh, the packaging. I get all of that. I'm not sure in a world of piracy that's enough mm. uh, just because it's, it's, subs is a tough, tough game. So I'm thinking, what else is happening? I'm thinking um, the new CEO is a betting guy, so sooner or later they're going to do something in betting. I'm also thinking the, the acquisitions that you're making, like 11 those are cost synergy moves that, you know, you'll put two businesses together and you'll take out a whole wad of, of costs. And, and practically as possible, Joe, how much of getting to break even is a top line answer or a cost line answer? It's a bit of both. We have learned a lot about what content works for us, what mix of content works for us, what the appropriate price to pay for that content is. We were forced to learn a bit of that quicker than maybe we would otherwise during COVID. The pricing thing, I cannot 
emphasize enough. It's significantly accelerated our revenues. Probably as a result, you can say we got pricing wrong in the early years. Yeah, Our retention, it's not the sexiest bit of the business, but the retention engine is extremely important. Treating customers in the segments in which they exist, the tourists, the more loyal customers, in doing, in, in, in acknowledging that and, and, and treating those customers almost as different bases of, of customers, you retain more, you, you take more revenue from the consumer. So I think it's a mix, Rog. Piracy, you know, my, you know my thoughts on piracy. I think it's a huge, huge problem. I'm glad we're talking about it more. And I think that there's going to be technical and operational solutions that are going to really start giving the industry more clout in, in dealing with it. Um, we need to collaborate on that as an industry. We need to come together and talk about it because I think there's strength in numbers at a lobbying level and a government level, regulatory level. But I think mate, it's, 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 there's no magic bullet here. It's, it, there's a number of things. Betting is going to be impactful. We're live with the zone bet in, in certain markets. That's a growing part of our business. Um, it will become more embedded in the zone product in time. That's part of it. Pricing's a part of it. Churn management's a part of it. Managing our cost base, massive part of it. There's no magic bullet. It's a combination of things. Joe, share with us as well um, in terms of production values. I mean, old school people grew up with sport where there were very clearly defined production values, whether in the UK, things like BBC or or ITV Sport, but every nationality had its own production of how sport was presented. Clearly, the world's moved on a lot. But from a design point of view, coming in, subscriber-based, it's about new sport, energy, energy, energising. How much do you, in terms of the investment in sort of old school producers versus new school producers, if you like, how do you weigh that up? Because you're you're dealing with a market which is completely different. Yeah, really good question. Look at our acquisition of Eleven. A major part of that was the, was the inclusion of Team Whistle, who are new age, social first, short form content production leaders. They will bring, and they have already brought, a fantastic energy and sort of creative energy to our social content. That is equally as important as long-form documentary production. I think in terms of acquisition and brand building off-platform, it's absolutely central. It's it's core marketing. It's what people, it's what stands out from the crowd. There's so much noise on social. You've got to have high-quality content that's there. So I think looking at it, there's lots of things about the traditional broadcast model that we just, and one of the things we got right early, I think, was acknowledging that a lot of that stuff is just overhead. It doesn't actually shape consumer behavior. The studio shows before every game, are they necessary? Probably not. Occasionally. Do fans care as much about that stuff as traditional broadcasting thinks they do? Maybe not. So investment there is is lighter than you might think. Investment, I think we need to invest more in, in social content, short form content. People are pressed for time. This stuff cuts through. It's got to be super high quality and engaging off the bat. And Team Whistle is a, as I say, major part of our acquisition. We're still going to invest where it makes sense and where it's supportive of our of our live product, what I call shoulder programming documentaries. We've produced a bunch of those. The Ronaldo Nazario documentary was was exceptional um, as, a, as a very good example. I also think you know the, the content around the platform, news, how we address that, and opinion. How do we do that in an innovative way? All of these things, I think, are to come. But it's all going to be part of building a a destination that sports fans want to spend lots of time on. 
that's, I think, the driving theme of our next phase beyond live, beyond the game. How do you make the zone a product that people are going to want to spend five or six days a week regularly on, not once or twice a week just to watch the game? It needs to be more embedded in their lives rather than live match to live match transactional. And I think that is where there's a whole load of monetization benefits that come from that. But how we do that in a way that isn't significantly ramping our cost base and delaying our profitability is the challenge. And we're looking at it in a way that I think, as I say, no magic bullet, but betting's a part of it. Short form content's a part of it. News and opinion will be a part of it. Stats and product functionality and data will be a part of it. And that's what we're shaping, the destination platform um, that will mean that I want to be on the zone as a fan as often as I'm on BBC Sport or on ESPN or, you know, almost doing it in my sleep. That's what we want to build. And that will create a far greater stickiness amongst consumers and, a, and it will give us a platform to monetize those consumers in a hundred different ways. Joe, that's a great answer. I'm originally an M&A guy, right? And I hear all this stuff about no magic bullet, we'll get it worked out operationally, everything like that. But I tend to think that your future in the next 18 months is about M&A. And it can go two ways. Shoot me down here, right? You know, like this could be totally wrong. Either you get bought by somebody like Fanatics for that whole play that you've just said, or you get big enough to buy somebody like Fanatics. And to get big enough to buy somebody like Fanatics, I'm thinking ESPN. I also note with interest, you know, the deal you've done with OneFootball, which, you know, word for word, what you said in the last three minutes is exactly what Lucas said when he came on in. If you can, am I on the right lines here that it's bulk up or get your exit sorted? Uh, look, look, we're, we're, I'm not a corporate guy. I'm not, I'm not a, uh, an M&A guy. Clearly, we've just acquired 11. So clearly, we're not ignoring opportunities to bulk up through M&A activity. We are interested in, and I'm not going. To, I'm not sitting on the fence here, Rod. So don't come down on me too hard. We are looking at ways to grow our business in broad strokes. Clearly, rights acquisition, long-term rights partnerships are central to that. Product investment central to that. Acquisition of businesses that we think can help us grow our business. Clearly, we're going to take those opportunities as and when they make sense. We've just announced in the last three weeks, four weeks, we've announced five or six things that are consistent with each of those each of those pillars. So that is where we're at. We, we, we are looking and we've got this luxurious position of having an established business, 20 million premium paying customers, ARPU growing rapidly against those customers, new product functionality, new revenue streams coming, a renewed strategy led by the right people. Are there going to be opportunities to, to act again in the M&A space? I'm sure there will be, but we're looking at it more broadly than that. I don't think it's as narrow as that is how we're going to grow. I think the core business, away from any MA activity, in a much healthier position, and the trajectory of that core business is fine. So e even if there wasn't an immediate MA activity available to the business, which we'll, we'll see if there is, I, I don't think that's the only growth lever available to the oh, business. For sure. Certainly not the only one. If you look at what you've done with the NFL now, Delta Tree must love you guys now. I, I know you probably put down a, a chunky bit of money to get that 10-year deal but why else do you think they've decided to go to DAZN as their distribution platform as opposed to the old favourites of Delta 3? I think that we're the only sports broadcaster of our size 
that operates truly globally. The global platform launch, although it's not you know our leading market from a revenue perspective, strategically made a statement, I think, that we are operationally capable of broadcasting globally and that we have global ambitions. That is a major part. The talking about the business development opportunities and the growth opportunities and levers we have available to us. We're the only broadcaster, you know, top sports broadcaster looking fully globally. That I think is a massive part of it. We can do it globally. Our tech and our product is best in class. The ability to broadcast high quality mass audience content like the NFL on a global basis, seamlessly, alongside, packaged alongside dozens of leading other sports entertainment properties is a huge asset. I also think we've got the luxury of the Canadian business. We've had Game Pass embedded in Design Canada since 2017. We've significantly grown the audience, significantly grown the audience watching that product and buying that product. Packaging it alongside premium other content like the Champions League, like the Premier League that we've we've had in, in, in Canada over that time has allowed that product to grow. So they've seen in their first or second international market the success we've had. That's now being applied on a global scale. The vision that our, our product and tech leadership have laid out for the evolution of the design product and the evolution of how we're going to engage consumers, talked about various different sort of new revenue streams coming. They've obviously enjoyed that vision and like bought into that vision. So I think there's a bunch of things that make sense between the, the two organizations. The fact that the world's leading sports broad, uh, sports rights holder sorry, is committing its future to design for 10 years is a real testament of all the things I mentioned on this call. It is. Our, it is. Our, our, our progress on tech, on product, on financial performance, on our innovative sort of culture and willingness to try new things. I think, you know, the, the commissioner in the NFL have looked at that and gone, these guys know what they're doing. And I think that is a huge testament to the progress our business has made. And we're really excited about deepening our relationship with leading rights holders like the NFL. Well, let, let's talk about that with one last question, one, one last chunky question. Serie A, Italy. Now, I don't think it's any secret uh, because you've been very honest on here that you probably overpaid for that. And now that you've done the NFL deal and all of us in the industry, we also look at, you know, the MLS and Apple and we start seeing platform plays and it seems obvious that you're going to get into the, this kind of thing now. When you're now uh, speaking to somebody like Serie A, does what you're doing now and what you have done with the NFL allow you to have a wider, more partnership-based conversation with them rather than just overpaying for their rights for three years? 100%. We are far less transactional and far more partnership-led than we were at the start. Again, we get criticised for deals we did five or six years ago. You have to pay to get into the club, right? <laughs> there was a market entry premium that we had to pay we had no customers when we were buying these rights in 2015, zero. We had no product. It was being built. We were still hiring a CMO at the time. So we paid a premium. And I think, you know, looking back on it compared to, you know, where we're at now, you can criticize all you want, but we wouldn't be here if we hadn't made those decisions at the time. All of the the, the verticals and the revenue streams and the data and the understanding of the TAM, all of these points of value that we can share with our rights partners are part of these conversations now. And it's partnership led, uh, sharing of risk, um, sharing of reward, uh, sharing of risk, 
sharing of um, vision in, in uh, us committing to invest in products that, that is tailored to the fandom of the, of the fans of the sports we're talking about far more uh, knowledge of the space and the customer base. Clearly we're going to have to pay for rights and we're willing to do that. I think we've got one of the best monetization engines in sport full stop now. And we're, we, we are learning rapidly and, and adding to it in a way that, you know, traditional sports broadcasting cannot do. We, we learn quicker and we adapt quicker than, than traditional linear broadcast. So yeah, you're completely right. Nail on the head, Rog. It's a partnership-led model, not a transactional-led model. It's not sell us your rights and see you in three years for renewal. It's far more involved than that. The relationships we have with these rights holders is founded in the original Perform Group business 15 years ago. So we know these guys very well, and they, they've recognized the progress we've made as a business. So it, it's great to be in these relationships. One last question on that. Um, as you were saying that there, I heard Adam Kelly in my head this is exactly what he's talking about. If you listen to some of the, the stuff he's done recently, you're right in that space now. But but apart from, you know, commenting on who your competitors are, I think what I'd like the listeners to, to take on board here is that the days, and this is true also for sponsorship, the days of putting out a tender, getting money, having a nice comfortable time until three or four years later, those days are gone. You are going to have to deal with people like The Zone, IMG Media, and everybody that has got an approach of risk sharing. And to do that properly, you really need to know your business, you need to know your fans, and you need to go to people like Joe and say, this is how I think we can work together. And I'm not sure how many rights holders are in that position. What do you think, Giles, about that? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think that for, for, as a former sponsor and now sort of backing and engaged in the sponsor space is that everything that is of interest in the, in, in the sponsorship um, area is, of course, about understanding that fan base. And I question whether rights holders have picked up the mantle. I think businesses like DAZN provide an enormous gateway into understanding consumer, understanding a route to market, and rather it being a, a kind of very... Um, uh, the old school model, which is we think we've got a big consumer base, but we know nothing about them and we don't know where they are. And we'll just use a rating system and hope that you'll believe in the media buy um, is long gone. Um, well, it's long gone hypothetically. I hope now that the audience of the rights holders really do pick up and, and start to heed this because there's money on the table for sponsors that people can only dream of. But you've got to change this into a performance marketing model and not one which is just based on a media buy. Renting renting properties and uh, having, you know, like sort of renting of a real estate example, we need, we need to be in longer term relationships. 10 years with the NFL, fantastic. We need to be in a place where we know what content we've got. We can't be investing with confidence and building a business with confidence if the risk of properties just dropping off every right cycle turn is is there and it, it, you know i imagine that we're not a financial markets guy but if you're looking at our business and that was the case that would be a point of concern so i think yeah. long-term partnerships and also leveraging all the different parts of the, the destination platform the betting the the e-commerce business that we'll end up launching the the the, the deepening engagement across multi on platform and off platform across social across YouTube on the zone platform behind the paywall in front of the paywall. If you've got a a relationship with your customers that is so involved that the right the rights holders know that the consumer wants the content to be on the zone, 
for a number of different reasons, that's a, a reason for that rights holder to want to be in business with you. So I think that's part of what we're building. And that would, yeah, again, not financial markets guy, that should give people looking at our business confidence that we're, we're, we're going in the right direction. Joe, it's been uh, it's been fascinating to watch what you guys have done and continue to do at DAZN. It's been fascinating to watch you go through the cycles you've been through, and as you say, iterate and improve and learn lessons, which is you know, which is the only thing any of us can do when we're founding a business. So kudos to you guys, and thanks to you for coming on for another hour and being so open with us. It it really helps us get a, a much better understanding of of the challenges faced by guys in positions like you, because you know we sit here and talk about it from the outside. And, uh, you know, it's, it's an interesting subject to talk about, but to have someone come on and be so open about the, the view from the inside the tent is, is hugely, hugely impressive. So thanks to you and, and continue good luck for the rest of this year. Thanks. If I can do an hour every couple of years and continue my invites to Como, then that's, um, that's, time, <laughs> that's time well spent, I think. <laughs> it's all right. Roger's just been there choosing the wine list, I think. So everything's looking quite peachy, I think. Yeah, he's got that a couple is. of really nice wine boxes this year, so it should be good stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I also, I also want you to notice, Joe, that we went a whole hour, and there was one point that what you were talking about was the exact description of uh, Aura, and I never mentioned it. I never mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what you're doing, you're building a very, very uh, successful marketing platform for your for your array of investors. <laughs> I respect it. <laughs> All right, Joe. Take again, care. Joe. Thanks again, Thank mate. You. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Bye bye. What a top man. What a top, top man. I'm a huge, huge fan of Joe. I think he's he's one of those rare people, Rog, that that can be honest and open, um, even in sensitive positions, and um, you know, talks an awful lot of sense. I just think he's very confident and and secure about himself, his brief uh, and and his marketability. You know, when you know that you're good, you're not as afraid of uh saying things that are maybe a little bit controversial because you're right, Grant, whichever way you cut it, Joe Markovsky is going to be in this industry at a very senior position for the next 20 years. And and he knows that. I, I just find it very interesting. Uh, I think it's very clear that the next 12 months for DAZN are the 12 months. You know, how long Len, Len Blavatnik is going to... Um, finance this i'm not so sure they do need to get to cash positive within those 12 months they say they will i think that's a huge task but um with my most skeptical hat on i thought joe was pretty convincing yeah he, he was and if and if they are going to achieve that hurdle then they've given themselves the best chance possible with guys like joe steering the ship well like you said i mean if to do a deal with the nfl uh, is um it's it's a pretty big it's a pretty big uh, um partner to, to to tie up with and i think if that can prove out it'll be exciting but so refreshingly honest and um, no pap there to use uh, to use your expression rog exactly right no, no no i'm not doing pap anymore unless we can get this kind of level of 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 um transparency then we, we won't do these every fortnight you know and um, the next one is going to be equally like this it's your friend and mine and, and grants as well now uh, elliot richardson um, and uh, Elliot uh, is right in the middle of a lot of major, major stuff in sport, and not just through his own his ownership of uh, one football, but um, a whole lot of other things. So we want to talk with the people that that I think are actually making things happen, changes happen, 
and are speaking with the, the, the people that really, really matter. Uh, so, and one thing uh, I'd like to say on Rod's that as well, you know, we all get a lot of feedback from these shows. Um, happily, I think not everybody agrees with everything and that's good. That's exactly the point of Are You Not Entertained? I think that when we give our Twitter handles out at the end, as we always do, if people do want to come on the show, if they feel that they've got something to 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 rejoin it, to come back at us, if they want to have that, please do ask us. We'll we'll consider the right people on. And Roger has invited Nick Clary on to come and give his his perspective from CVC. But there will be other people who will want to talk. And I think it's really important. We have points of view. We don't agree with each other, and there's no there's no reason why we should do. But rather than people fuming, sort of yours disgusted from Tunbridge Wells, sitting, listening to one of their shows. If you're in the industry and you feel that you've got a point of view, come and have a go because we'll always respect you. We'll always listen. And it's good for the audience. So that's just my my feeling. Correct. Amen to that. And talking off those Twitter handles, uh, it's time for them. So our thanks to everybody for listening. Our thanks, of course, to Joe Markowski for, for joining us uh, this morning. My thanks to my fellow groundsmen. Um, but again, above all, thanks to you for listening. Uh, if you don't follow us, uh, as Giles said, and you want to get in touch, you can do that by following us on Twitter. You'll find us at Entertained R. That's the word, A-R-E. You'll find me hiding away behind at T-T-M-Y-G-H. And you'll find me, Giles Morgan, at Giles Morgan 71 and Roger Mitchell, RPM Como, as in the lake. As in the lake. Gentlemen, until next time. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you.